Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. As a young kid, I would make at times the most silliest decisions. I remember putting change in my pocket and discovering that my pants pocket had a hole. Now, it's bad enough to, know, to lose whatever money you have, but it would be silly to put anything in that pocket after discovering that the pocket has a hole believing that you can jockey whatever you're putting in there to the corner and hoping that you would not lose it. And, and I remember a number of times of doing the same thing. But then you would think as an adult, you would learn the lesson. About a year ago, my wife and I were taking our dog for a six-mile um, walk on the Heritage Trail, and, and I would take my key fob along with her work keys, right, and, and her work keys were on a lanyard, right, and I guess the lanyard is so that you don't lose them, right, you put them around your neck, but no, I put them in my pocket, right, and, and it just so happened that that particular pocket had a hole. Right? And it's a hole that I knew I had there. But when I put it, it's like as if my mind was blank. And, and some would say that that decision was silly. I do not want to tell you what my wife told me. <laughs> so we would go on our six-mile walk and... And as we're getting back to the car, I would start to look for the key or the key fob. And to my dismay, it was not where it was supposed to be. Right? And, and, and immediately, like all forms of frustration just overwhelm me and my wife. You know, I had to call my daughter to come pick her up. I then scoured the trail that we walked on, right? So I went for a 13-mile walk that day. Today. And to my dismay, I did not find the keys, right? So that day was an expensive day. I had to get the car towed to the dealership. And let me tell you, those key fobs are pretty expensive. And, and that experience, along with the experiences of when I was a youth, was a constant reminder, right, that, that a pocket with a hole um, will eventually lead you and me to losing the things that we want to hold on to. But it's also an illustration of our lives. Right? Because many of us work hard 
in the things we own, and no matter how much we put into it, it's almost as if every year I have to paint those porch posts in my house because they need to get painted, right? It's, and it even points to my own life. No matter how much I try to stay healthy, every year I feel older. Almost as if my life is being poured out through my pants pocket. And just remember, right, a, a pocket is not a pocket if it doesn't do what it's meant to do. And part of what we are going to look at with Haggai, right, is how many of the individuals are putting effort into the things that they think is important but a lot of those things are falling through the hole in their pockets. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It is the day when the Holy Spirit descended upon the church. Signs and wonders were seen, and the church was birthed, but it was birthed on the sacrifice of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was risen from the dead. But Memorial Day is also built on sacrifice, on all of those who have given their lives, and we remember them. We, we don't take it for granted. But Memorial Day is also a constant reminder of change, right? Um, it's Traditionally, it marks the beginning of summer, even though it's not summer yet. Right? But it's, it's the time when you can really go out and plant your plants, right? because it's past Mother's Day, and frost is not going to um, kill your plants. Right? It is a time where you can bring out that portion of wardrobe that's a little lighter in color because it's summer. It's about change, and change is constant, and, and that's what we see in this book of Haggai, a small book, a, a book that is of two chapters. But we see change, and change is happening quickly, and, and the people are not responding the way they should be responding. So as we go through this book, Here's what I would ask you. Consider the things you call important. Consider the very things that you invest your time in. Maybe those very things are the things you're putting in your pocket and just falling out. Let us give our attention to God's word. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Right, so we are introduced to a few different people. 
Darius the king, king of Persia. He is the second of kings because we know that King Sarius is um, the first one to release the Israelites to go back to Israel. Then King Darius, then King Arzerskis. Right, so as Greg reminded us earlier, right, we know specifically that this is 520 BC. So the exiles were in captivity and they've been released. They're back in the country about 18 years. And then we have Haggai, who's a prophet. He is one in which God has appointed to deliver a message from God. In other words, the prophet does not massage the message in order to make it more receivable. He delivers it the way he gets it. It's important to know Zerubbabel. He's the governor. And the reason why he's important is because he is a direct linkage to King David, the line of Judah, which ultimately reminds us of Jesus, who is the king, the lion of Judah. And, the, and this lineage is preserved. And then Joshua, he is connected to the priestly line, right? So everybody who needs to be in place are in place. God's word would say these people. And, and in that phrase, you should know that God is not happy because he's not calling them my people, right? He's calling them these people. Right. So they say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And when they came back, they started to rebuild. They set the foundation. They set the altar. Right. They're able to have worship. But then all of a sudden they got tired. 14 years. And they have come to a conclusion that maybe this isn't the right time. This whole place was in shambles. Right? It's 70 years of just rubble on top of itself. Nobody did anything with this land. To do work here was hard. And as they were working, they got tired. And as they got tired, they said, you know what? It's, we need to work on our houses. We need to work on the things that are important to us. And they came to an understanding, right? Because they couldn't blame God. But what they convinced themselves is, is, well, maybe this isn't the time, right? Because it said that the temple would be rebuilt once they returned after 70 years. So they thought that they were too early, right? Maybe it's not time. Right? And because we know that when they went into captivity, it was in three phases. Right? The first was around 605 B.C. 
The second was around 597 BC, and then the last one was 587 BC. Right? So which one do we pick? Right? But if you remember from Daniel, Daniel 7, as he prayed, he said, Lord, may you remember the first one. Right? And if you calculate from the first one, it is over 70 years. Right? So, so they're coming up with excuses of why not to build the temple. It is time for you yourselves to dwell. Is it time for you to dwell in your panel houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does not put them into a bag with holes. There it is. Right? So, so at this particular time, it's actually the end of August, beginning of September. This is supposed to be the harvest time. Right? So, so they took all of their stuff, they put it in the ground. They're living in the comfort of their homes. It isn't as if one year went by. It isn't as if two years. Or, this is 14 years later after the setting of the altar. Nobody is taking the lead and saying, hey, we should finish the temple. And let me say this, right? God doesn't need the temple. The temple is so that the people can go. So that the people would be reminded of the covenant relationship that God has with his people. Sometimes we don't know what we need until we need it. And he says, consider your ways. Think about how you are living. Think about the decisions you are making. Think about how you're choosing one thing over another. Consider them. Think about them. Right? A lot of times, things happen to us, and we as believers say, oh, we're being under attack by Satan. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's not Satan. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Get my attention. As he reminds me, maybe I need to have those pants pockets sewn, right, and, and not put it off. Or maybe I just need to throw them away. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Right here he is saying it again. Go up to the hill, bring down wood, and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, 
because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you is busy himself with his own house. Right? Sometimes that's how right, we, we take care of the things we think are important. And then God steps in and reminds us of what's really important. He reprioritizes our lives. Right? He says, go and gather the things that are needed in order to finish this. To finish the work that was started. He's saying, stop blaming your neighbor. Right? Sometimes in the church, we have the attitude, oh, somebody else will do it. Right? And meanwhile, God is calling us to do it. I know on the 13th, right, we had a cleaning morning, right? And, and I saw the pictures, right? And, and, and I can say this, right, that, that we are enjoying a clean and organized sanctuary and property because of what other people did. Because guess what? I was on vacation, right? I wasn't here. But I saw the pictures. I saw you guys working hard, cleaning, vacuuming, dusting, doing windows. Now, I don't say this so that you would feel guilty if you weren't here, right? That's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it so that we would just give honor and glory to God because at the end of the day, it isn't about the building. It isn't about, you know, the things that we own, right? The reason why we gather is because each and every one of you is the church. Right? And when it says to glorify God, right, that word is kavot. And it's translated in reference of something that's heavy, right? And, and, and you know, in the military, as you start to rise through the ranks, you tend to get all the bling, right, that, that's on the shoulders, right? So in the ancient Israel, they had a prayer shawl. And on the prayer shawl, they used to have the tassels. Right? And the tassels represent all the laws. And off the tassels, the generals would take their medals and hang them off of there. Right? And when they would come in, they would clang. Right? And, and it would be a constant reminder of God's glory because it is God who won the victory. Right? And that is what we would call the kavot. And that's why when Isaiah said, and I saw the train of your robe fill the sanctuary, he was just looking at the hem. Because God is up there. His glory. Therefore, the heavens above, you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hill, on the grain, on the new wine and the oil that the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Imagine you planted your seeds in the ground 
You're praying for rain. You're praying that the harvest would bring a yield. And God says, all of that work is for nothing. Because what you should have been doing, you didn't do. Right? And God is doing it to get your attention, to get their attention. Because these words also apply to our lives today. Like sometimes we wonder why our efforts don't produce what we wanted to produce. And we keep pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward. The people around us suffer as they watch. And maybe in the midst of that, God says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all of the remnants of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the word of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of God, spoke to the people of the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Right, so God gets their attention, and he not only gets the governor's attention, he gets the priest's attention. Right, so when it says the governor and the priest, that means the governor and all of those who are under the governor. When it says the priest, it's the head priest and all of those who are under the priest. And when it says the entire remnant, it's all of them. God got their attention. They see that their efforts are not producing what it needs to produce. And all of a sudden, as God gets their attention, fear comes in. Now, it's not fear where they're cowering, but it's fear, reverential fear. It's fear in reference of that it just drops you to your knees because your sinfulness is all of a sudden magnified and you just come to terms with, Lord, I just blew it. I knew I had a hole in my pocket. I should have not put that stuff in there. I have nobody to blame other than myself. But in the midst of it, God encourages. He says, I'm with you. I haven't left you. And this goes all the way back to that covenant he made with Abraham. A covenant where he goes out of his way to say, you are mine and I am yours. Even though sometimes you behave as if I'm not even your God. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to go the whole way with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, on the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. 
Right? So all of a sudden, God gets their attention. They considered their ways, and they said, you know what? We're heading in the wrong direction. We need to get our priorities straight. And they started to work on God's house. Again, God doesn't need the house, right? God doesn't need a place to be tethered to because God is bigger than the house. So you say to yourself, what is God trying to provide for the people? A place for them to come and gather. Why? Because this particular day, right, would be the day when they should be harvesting. This is one of the festival feasts that they should be celebrating. Guess what? They got nothing to celebrate with. But in the midst of that, God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yes, you went astray, but I'm with you. Fear not. Right? So this is where we transition into chapter 2. Right? So this is a list of all of the events of the nation of Israel between the splitting of the north and the south, the struggles that they have with Egypt, with Assyria, Babylon, and then Persia. You can see all the prophets and the minor prophets. right? And, and if you need a copy of this, I'll be more than happy to send it to you. And then sometimes it's hard because the Bible isn't laid out chronologically. right? So... This is how the minor prophets would be laid out. The first half of them are kind of scattered, right? So you have to work at it. But the last six are pretty much laid out chronologically the way it would have happened, right? So, so we can see Haggai there in 520 B.C. Again, everything is leading, right, to the birth of Jesus, and then that's where our calendar would pick up, right? The last prophet that we would read would be Malachi. And from 416 to 0, the prophets are quiet. And it picks up with what we would call Matthew. And we also and we would read the genealogy of Jesus and Mary. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadat, and the high priest, and all of the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Right? So there were individuals that were young who saw the temple that Solomon had built. Now it's important when you think of Solomon, right? There was a priority there. Solomon first built the temple. He then built his home. Right? Those are two priorities that you should know. But then under that you should know that Solomon's home was much more glorious than the temple. Right? You can see the selfishness early on, even though the temple was magnificent. And he's saying, who among you remember this temple when it was in its full glory? 
right? And if you go to Ezra, you can see, right, that the people cried out. Cried out because what they were looking at looked nothing like the temple that was in place. But here's what I want to share with you, right? And we'll see this in a little while, right? The temple truly becomes glorious when Jesus steps into it many years later. Because at the end of the day, it's just a building. A building in which we worship God. Right? But it is Jesus that makes it glorious. Just a little sidestep, right? Like sometimes we wonder, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Right? And it's almost as if the fig tree didn't do anything to Jesus for Jesus to curse it, right? But, but here's my conclusion. Jesus cursed the fig tree because in the presence of God in glory, it didn't produce anything. Right? Think about that for a while. Right? Because when you stand before God, something has to happen to your life. You have to be transformed. That's why I believe that when you read God's word every single day, you might not see the changes, but the changes are happening. Yet, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, O you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. When you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. These are words of encouragement, Right? God is saying through the prophet, be strong. Yes, we're going to go through lean times, but guess what? Those lean times are because of your decisions, but I'm going to provide. Be strong. And he's talking to the whole company. Everyone from the governor right down to the one individual who says, well, I just don't have anything. He says, be strong. Because I'm going to keep my covenant promise with you. Even though sometimes we behave in a way that we don't want to keep it. He says, fear not. Right? In other words, you have nothing to fear because I'm with you. I'm encouraging you. I as God has now become your greatest cheerleader. You can do this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet one more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, that all the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Imagine that God himself, because these individuals have no means of producing the things they need to finish this, but also through God's working, he's going to provide everything that they need to finish the temple. Right? Have you ever started a project and, and all of a sudden you come to the conclusion, I don't have everything I need. 
I got to go back to Home Depot. Oh, that place, right? But God says, no, no, no. When you start this, you will have everything you need. You would have everybody who's going to be a stone mess, mason, everybody who's going to work with wood, everything that is going to be needed so that in the end, you will be able to worship. Worship the God above all. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Right? Ask yourself, how many times have you heard that phrase, the Lord of hosts? Right? It's over and over and over again. Right? So the author wants you to know and grab a hold of who we're talking about. We're talking about God. Right? Now remember, he says, for those of you who saw this house, and all of a sudden, he says, the one we're building is going to be even better than the one that stood here when Solomon was here. Now, at this time, right, a year earlier, they would have been celebrating the destruction of the temple. Isn't that amazing how God works that all out? And again, I only envision the house being better because Jesus walked into it. Because he is the one we worship. He's the one that's not tethered. And when he walked into the house, so many leaders did not identify him or were afraid of him because they thought they were going to lose their power and position. And then between verses 10 and 19, I'm not going to go through them, I'm just going to summarize them, right? It's really about being holy. He gives an analogy, right? That if you touch something that's unclean, right, do you become unclean? And the priests say, absolutely, you become unclean. And, and then he makes the accusation, just like you, right? In other words, he looks at their heart, right? So even though they're committed to doing the work, right, guess what? It doesn't take a long time for them to start grumbling again. Why? Because they're tired. They're in the desert. Things don't go the way sometimes we need them to go, right? And that's why God is that constant encourager, not only to them, but he's that constant encourager to us. The other day I was driving, right, and... And somebody pulled in front of me and started to communicate with me in sign language. <laughs> right? And immediately, I just got hijacked. Right? I, I didn't do sign language back to him, right? But, but I did lay heavy on my horn. <laughs> Right, for about a good half mile. Right? right. I, I just wanted him to know that I was there. Right? And, and the minute I do that, right, 
my, my heart just gets convicted. Right? And I said, you know what, Lord? I'm just sorry for how I just behaved. It's in no way that I just represent you. Right? And, and there's no way that I can make an excuse for what I just did and how I behaved. And, right? and, and that's what happens when you are close with God. Right? And again, I'm not saying that I get it right, but I, I am reminded of my sinful life. I'm reminded of the things that I'm constantly trying to hold on to that every day is just falling through my fingers. And then we pick up on verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Say, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. And I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. In other words, God is going to do a mighty work. Right? It, you have to remember, right? It, through all of this, he's saying, consider your ways. And as he says, consider your ways, and as you remember who I am, he says, I got this. I got this. And this prophet, as much as all the other prophets, all really point to one individual, right? And that would be Jesus. Right? All of Scripture points to Jesus. Right? So when I read these verses in reference of him taking down kingdoms, right? I see it as a future statement of what God's going to do in tearing down kingdom, right? Because sometimes we put so much effort in the things that, that are in front of us. And God, a lot of times, says, well, lift your head up a little higher. Lift your head up a little higher. Lift your head up above your problems, your earthly problems, and watch what I'm going to do. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, declared the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Right? So again, he's not talking to Zerubbabel. Right? He's talking through the line of Zerubbabel that points to Jesus. Right? That signet ring is a ring of authority. It is a ring that when a letter was produced would get sealed with the signet ring. And nobody was able to open those letters apart from the person that that letter was addressed to. In our ESV Bible, in the commentary, right, it says this. A ring that provides evidence of royal authority and ownership, like a king sealing a legal document with his ring, the Lord will set 
his authentic impression upon the world through his royal representative, Zerubbabel, a descendant of one previously declared. And we find that in Jeremiah 22, verses 24 through 27. is a ring placed back in the hand of a divine king. God promises to bless his people and the whole world through the house of David. Right? So it's a promise that we as believers receive today. The very things that happen to the Israelites as they struggle. Through their story, we have a promise that God is with us. And in the midst of it, he says, consider your ways. All your efforts, if they're not lined up with God's will, are for nothing. All of them. Right? And let me tell you, some of us are tired because we've been working hard in whatever we've been working and only to find out that it isn't the thing God wants us working on. But in the midst of that, he doesn't discard us. He doesn't throw us away. He says, I'm with you. He said, take the correction and start to live right. right? And all of a sudden, I'm reminded right, of my pockets. Right? So today, I work really hard to make sure my pants pocket don't have holes. But again, it's a picture of what God does. In other words, when God comes into your life, that work is not something that you and I can lose. Right? Because we're reminded of what it says in Romans 8 at the very end, right? That nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even a decision that you would make. Even if that decision was dumb. Right? Nothing. That God is going to keep his covenant promise, not only with the Israelites, but with each and every one of us. That when I make a dumb decision of laying on my horn because somebody cut me off, right? God is there to receive me as I say, Lord, forgive me. And I don't have to feel guilty afterwards because his blood is sufficient to cover my sins, right? Because I am a sinner to the core. If you were in my mind, you would say, you're a pastor? <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Because sometimes I think horrible things. Right? I am sometimes the most selfish person that, that I, I can't even believe myself. Right? And, and, and the thing is, right, sometimes we walk around as if we're, we're so pious. No, we're broken and we need God in our lives. I'm fond of saying, right, as sinners, we are all in the same boat. Right? It's not as if the pastor has his own boat. Right? I need the same God, just like Zerubbabel needed God, just like Joshua needed God, right? And, and he's a God that does what he says he's going to do because he's God. And we worship him. We glorify him. And when we stop and think of this particular day, 
right? It is a day, again, of Pentecost, where the church was birthed, where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came down. Tongues of fire were seen on heads. People started to speak in tongues, and by a miraculous work of God, they understood. They understood. And all of that was because of a sacrifice, the very God in which we worship Jesus. But then we also celebrate Memorial Day. And it's a constant reminder of all those who have given their lives. And here's the thing about Memorial Day, right? Some of those individuals believed in God. Some of those individuals didn't believe in God. Some of them believed in some horrible things. But guess what? They sacrificed their lives. So that we would have the freedoms we have today. To worship and to glorify God. That is why we are here. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would remove any of those distractions. And may we take your word where it says, be strong. It's not that we're strong in ourselves. We're strong because you are with us. You haven't abandoned us. You are our God. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, would you rise as we worship our God? Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.